The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. So today we're going to mentally suplex professional wrestling with our special guest, the world's sweetest man, gentleman Jervis Cottonbelly. Thanks for being on our show, Jervis. Oh, you're so welcome and thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. <laughs> What's well, a pleasure to have you on our show? You're thank amazing. Thank you. Thank you for being on our show. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet, the both of you. You know, it was such a wonderful day when I met you, and I'm, I'm just happy that it's all come full circle, and now I can speak to your lovely listeners. Oh, well, thank you very much. Every wrestling persona has an origin story, and Jervis, can you tell us your origin story and what brought you into the ring? Oh, I sure can. I, I was born from a magical land, and uh, I came here to this planet through a vessel. It was a, uh, a young pro wrestler who was looking for an identity, and um, I found him, and together we teamed up, and we decided that Rather than trying to be tough, or rather than trying to be strong or uh, valiant, we were just going to try and be sweet. And I thought that at the time, that would be a great way to win friends in the professional wrestling industry. Although we might not get many victories on the mat, uh, we would certainly be able to say that uh, it was a day well spent, as long as we made a friend or two. So my origin really goes back to um, times in London, in Philadelphia, I, you know, I heard my skills and trained all over the world. And eventually, I made my way out to Los Angeles uh, to find the bright lights of Hollywood. While I was out in Hollywood, I found out that there are a lot of wrestling fans and audience members who have a lot of pain inside of them. And, well, I could relate to that pain, so I wanted to share some of my own story. And that's really where all this comes from, is I think that all of us, in some way, when we walk into a room full of strangers, we just want all of them to like us. And that's really what my motivation is. You know, I want to make friends, but really I just want people to like me and to, to hear my truth and to care for me the way that I care for myself. What a beautiful response. And you don't see us, but I, I had my hand on my heart the entire time. Oh. You have such a lovely presence about you. And I think that your presence allows people to like themselves as well. I appreciate that. You know, that's really my major goal. I don't mind if I ever win a match, but as long as I make someone feel a bit of self-love during my performances, then I think that I'm truly feeling like a winner, if, if that's the case. So sweet. Yeah, most definitely. You are the sweetest man. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Well, being a sweet man, and the funny thing is, wrestling at its core is kind of violent, and yet your mm. approach is that of compassion, which is why we're so drawn to you. What inspired you to become a, a figure of kindness in such a hardcore environment? I think that if you ever watch my matches, I think that what you'll find is 
I try to win as many fights as I can without using violence at all. So you'll see me try to tickle my opponents or make them laugh. Um, or maybe um, I, I saw you lull someone to sleep once. <laughs> yes, that's one of my favorite maneuvers, the sleeping beauty. Um, I like to to pick my opponents up like a baby and cradle them until they uh, have a heavy dopamine release and they fall gently asleep with a happy smile on their face. That's now, yeah, well, that's what I thought, you know, because I see so much violence in the world, and I thought if I could take something like the most violent type of entertainment in show business, and I could you know, show people that you can win without being violent, well, then I think I'd be doing divine work. So I try to win all my fights without violence, although I will admit, uh, sometimes I do have a bit of a temper. You know, if someone is rude to my friends or if someone uses foul language or breaks the rules, then uh, oftentimes I, I might turn up the heat a little bit. And um, in, instead of doing a polite roll-up or um, a sleeping beauty hold, uh, then, you know, at times I might bump into somebody with my uh, rear end or uh, perhaps I'll, you know, throw some sort of uh, little baby bunny stomp on them, you know. But I, I think that it, it, most of all, I, I'm trying to just bring a bit of gentleness to a very rough sport. Right. And when you enter the ring, you often hug the other wrestlers or sometimes even give them flowers. Yes. Um, what kind of message do you want to send to other wrestlers and actually to the viewers? Well, first and foremost, I want the other wrestler, my opponent across the ring, I want uh, he or she to know that I respect them um, and that I love them no matter what happens. Because I've always been told that world peace is impossible, but I don't think that's the case. I think that we could achieve world peace, and I think it starts with ending wars and ending violence. And in order to do that, before we get to a stage where violence is completely eradicated, we have to show that if we're going to tread the line and consider violence, that we must at least respect each other and show that we can relate to one another. You know, we're both living, breathing beings on this wonderful earth. And as long as we're going to be competing in fisticuffs, I think it's important to show each other that we value life and we value each other. And I want the fans and audience members watching to know that it's okay to shake the hand of a potential competitor, uh, somebody that you're competing against or you're trying to overcome, it's all right to respect them and to love them because really I think that love is divine and I think that's all we have. I think that it's, it's the most pure emotion in all of the cosmos and I, I just want to spread that message of love and kindness as much as I can. What a beautiful message, Jervis. I think we need a lot more, a lot more people like you. Most definitely. <laughs> well, you know, someone once asked me, because there's a, a grappler who, um, who, well, there's a few who take after me, and someone asked me, does it bother you that WWE employs a wrestler who uses your uh, quote-unquote gimmick? And I always say to them that I would be thrilled if every wrestler used my gimmick. Mm. I would wish for every wrestler to be as kind and gentle as I try to be. Because um, I think really that wrestling in, in the world would be a better place. Yes, most definitely. I agree wholeheartedly. And this next question, as I mentioned before, wrestling can be a bit brutal and injuries are known to happen. And like football, concussions in wrestling and these other environments can lead to mental and physical issues. Dr. Scarlett, you have worked with 
many service members as well as professional athletes who have experienced multiple concussions in their careers. Can you tell us about what people with concussions may experience in these environments? Of course. You know, concussions or traumatic brain injury is different, of course, from person to person. In my professional experience working with professional athletes like football players, for example, as well as active duty service members, I've seen individuals who started developing chronic pain issues, such as chronic migraines, for example, as well as mood changes, whether it's irritability, anger, anxiety, overwhelming panic attacks. A lot of times people with concussions might um, have a difficult time with crowds or being oversensitized to certain stimuli. For example, when people experience too much light or too many loud noises, it might be really overwhelming for them. And recovery period from concussions can last a really long time for some individuals. You know, that makes me think of my absolute favorite wrestler of all time, Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, did you know that his career was ended because of a concussion? No, I actually didn't know, but I, I have heard of issues from like uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. Mm. Um, but I didn't, I didn't know that about Brett the Hitman Hart. Yes, it was an errant kick from Bill Goldberg. It was a move that he had he'd been hit with many, many times in his career, but this one was just a bit, uh, you know, it, it hit him right in the temple, and it ended his career. But he said that for quite a while after that, and this is in his book, uh, My Real Life in the Cartoon World of Professional Wrestling, he said that things like a, a, a shaving commercial would make him cry. Mm-hmm. And when he went to the doctor to tell him about what he was experiencing, the doctor told him that he was experiencing post-concussion syndrome. And for some people, it can last days, months, or even years. And I, I found that very telling because, you know, when I was a lad, I used to play contact sports. And I definitely had a few concussions in my day. Absolutely. And for, for some individuals, some symptoms can last a lifetime. Certain mm-hmm. things like um, headaches, Um, and sensitivity to certain sounds um, can last a very long time. Um, Unfortunately, we know some individuals, um, um, the dynamic uh, of their brain can actually change. And unfortunately, some individuals can become so overwhelmed after after traumatic brain injury that um, some might even experience suicidal ideation or might even um, take their own lives, unfortunately. We've seen that quite a bit in certain um, sports like football. She just mentioned football and concussions, and I'm a big NFL fan, and I was a Charger fan for many years. And Junior Seau was one who had concussions and ended up ending his own life as well. And and it's very tragic what happened to Mr. Seau. I played contact sports when I was a lad. I played hockey, and I experienced several concussions from around age 11 to about 15. And I would say that for me, I mean, I, I hope this isn't getting too personal, but for me, uh, suicidal ideation began around the age of, of 14 or 15. And I, I had always wondered if, you know, there was maybe just something wrong with me or if, if I was just, maybe I wasn't grateful enough to live. And, you know, I blamed myself for a long time, but I never really considered that playing such impactful and violent contact sports may have been what drove me to that way of thinking and, and to dealing with such a painful outcome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jervis, because I imagine that you're not alone in this, that for many of our listeners who at one point or another might have also felt suicidal, 
I think that it's really encouraging to hear that they're not alone, that others have been through it, that people that they look up to and admire like you have experienced something similar. What have been some of the ways that you've coped when you felt suicidal or when you were really struggling with something? And what are some of the ways that you would like to encourage our listeners to do the same? Oh, well, I appreciate you asking that. And if I may, uh, can I clarify the difference, well, at least from my experience, the difference between ideation and um, suicidal uh, attempts or urges? Because I think, and and doctor, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I I think we all have a different perspective on it. But the way I've always understood ideation is uh, rather than thinking about how you would commit suicide or hurt yourself uh, permanently, the ideation is more about thinking of the what would happen if you were to do that. You know, what would the outcome be? How would others feel? What would your funeral look like? That sort of thing. Is that is that right? That's right. Ideation is any any kind of fixation or any kind of recurring thoughts about uh, taking one's life. For example, if we're talking about suicidal ideation. And then um, suicidal plan, for example, that would be where an individual would have an actual idea of the how, and then the intent has to do more with the when. And so when we're talking about suicidality in general, that's kind of a vague reference to all three of these areas, you know, and I think for some people, we might have recurring thoughts of just what would happen if we took our life. And for others, it might go further than that. I was wondering if you would be willing to talk about any experiences that you might have had in terms of what has gotten you through some of those really difficult times. Surely. I would say that for a while, when I was younger, I dealt with those on my own. I dealt with those feelings on my own. And I I was always, at least, you know, at that time, with the way that society looked at uh, suicide was that it was something that was shameful, you know, and that it was something that was short-sighted and Uh, I remember once a friend of mine had taken his own life, and he was one of my best friends, and they told us about it at school. All at the same time, the whole school found out at once. I remember the teacher in the room at the time said, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. At first, I thought that was a really good way of looking at it, but as I've learned and grown, I've realized that for some people, suicidal ideation can be a permanent problem, you know, and it, it needs constant awareness and rehabilitation and the way that i found for myself that i've been able to power through and you know persevere is with mindfulness and uh, now i should add mindfulness therapy and medication um, i think that when i was unmedicated my thoughts were uh, they, they felt like my enemy at times and i was scared of medication for a long time because I had been on and off various medications. I'd seen different doctors, some who knew my story very well, others who didn't know my story at all. And when they gave me different medications, it put me in um, different moods. And sometimes I had a bad month. Sometimes I would have a bad year. What I've always done consistently, and I think wrestling is is definitely something uh, that I have to thank for this, but I've always kept my physical fitness in as solid as a, of a condition as I could. So even on days, and I mean, there were years where I couldn't work out. The years that I couldn't work out, I would still go outside and I would walk three or four miles. Um, I would drink plenty of water. I would not engorge myself or overeat, you know, so that I didn't put on weight and make it harder for myself to go outside and do that. And I would always keep my fitness uh, as, as strong as I could. And as well as that, 
I've always been very open about what I face and the struggles that I face. So if I'm not able to afford a doctor, uh, you know, or maybe my health insurance premiums are too high, I've gone to uh, support groups, you know, local support groups. There's uh, meetup.com has a lot of resources in your local area for people who may be suffering. or Even if you just need a, a camping group or a fishing group or something just to get you out of the house and traveling and talking to people, there's a lot of help and, and you have to seek that help in others. So I would say that to recap a bit, I've kept my physical fitness really strong. I've always tried to talk about what I'm feeling, whether it's with a doctor or a support group, um, free or paid for. And I've practiced mindfulness. Um, so that's daily meditation uh, and weekly group meditation. You know, the, the medication is something I, I cannot understate enough that, you know, for some people out there, you may be listening and thinking, well, well, Jervis, I've tried medication and it didn't work for me. Um, but I urge you, keep trying. Don't give up. Um, because medication is not your enemy. Uh, the doctor is not your enemy. And you can find the right fit for you. Uh, because we are all made up of different chemicals and, and we have different balances. But I think that if you really want to work towards true wellness, uh, sometimes you do need some assistance. And for someone like me, um, you know, I have to take a pill every night before bed. Uh, and it took a while to get used to. But now that I'm used to it, um, I really just, I, I feel so much better. Oh, that's wonderful, wonderful to hear. Thank you, Jervis, so much for sharing your journey. And I can attest to there being a lot of people who might be going through the exact same things as you've gone through. And it's so helpful to hear that continuous exercise and, and finding support groups and, and talking to providers and mindfulness exercises can be so helpful. What a wonderful reminder. I think a lot of people may not realize that um, having suicidal thoughts is very much like having any other chronic condition. So just for example, some people have chronic back pain and other mm -hmm. people have chronic anxiety or chronic depression and some people have chronic suicidal ideation. And um, at the same time, those same individuals um, have so much strength and so much courage and so much to give to other people. And I find that it is at the very core of our most painful experiences that we also find the greatest amount of resilience, the greatest amount of healing. And it's where we find our sense of purpose, you know, because for people who have been through something really painful, those are the people that are then, in my opinion, most qualified to help others in terms of, at the very least, understanding of what people have been through. I think it's, it's extremely encouraging for people to hear that someone else has been through something similar to what they're going through. It creates a level of trust, a level of hope, and a level of understanding in a lot of individuals. And hearing you sharing your own stories, I know is helping so many other people who just need that voice of hope. So thank you, Jervis, for doing that. You're so welcome. And I want you to both to know that uh, this took a lot of practice for me. You know, I wasn't always this way. And there was a time where I didn't even know I was suffering. I felt the suffering and I, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what I was facing. I knew that there may be a listener out there um, who is wondering, you know, why me? Why has this happened to me and why do I have to suffer? Why am I suffering alone? I just want everyone to know that if they're suffering, they're not alone. 
um, because we all, I think, can relate in some way or another. Because while you know life is beautiful and and wonderful, we all can suffer as well. And um, I, I just want to you know share my story as best I can. I want to thank you again for sharing your story. What what I was getting out of what you and Dr. Scarlett were saying was there's a lot of strength and courage. One thing that I know about wrestlers is a lot of times they're they're battling through certain ailments or injuries. Jervis, what is your experience with how much sacrifice wrestlers make and what are some of the benefits of being part of a wrestling team? Well, wrestlers make sacrifices on many levels. Some wrestlers, the ones that you see on WWE, they make sacrifices for their physical and mental health. They make sacrifices um, with their time. They make sacrifices with their families because they're not home for important events. You know, a lot of them are on the road for uh, 250 to 300 days a year at maybe the independent levels. We make different sacrifices. Some of us have to work 40 to 60 hours a week just to be able to go and wrestle on the weekends. I, for example, I wrestle on the weekends. I teach wrestling during the week. It doesn't leave me a lot of time for myself. So when I do get the time to myself, I have to be kind to myself. We make sacrifices in all different ways. And I would say that the health sacrifice is probably the most apparent. Because, you know, I'm seeing a lot of wrestlers these days, especially at the, the newer wrestlers at the independent levels, they're going out and they do a lot of maneuvers that really hurt their body and impact their physical health, and they do it in the name of their art form. And I respect that, but I also want them to know that they don't have to do that necessarily. Um, Because at the end of the day, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to please our audience. And I think that there are a lot of different ways to please the audience, not just with your physical danger that you put yourself in because thrill seeking is again it's something that can make a lot of people excited but it doesn't last moments don't last moments are fleeting it's more about the feeling that you leave your audience with and um, i think being a part of a wrestling community for me it's empowering you know tonight i'm going to go down to santino brothers dojo in los angeles and i'm going to get to see my students and um, next week i'm going to see uh, six or seven of them debut And I'm really excited because I've been following their careers since the beginning. You know, some of these students, I remember their very first day. And, you know, I'm watching them work tirelessly to achieve their dreams. And I've also watched them work to become part of a fraternity. And that's what we really are in wrestling. We're a brother and a sisterhood. We love each other like we're family. We're going to be having a Thanksgiving feast together next week at our wrestling school because not everybody there has a family of their own. Um, But once you become part of the professional wrestling community, to some degree, you have become a part of a family. And that even goes for the audience members, which I think you can see when you go to shows. There's lots of well wishes and hugs and audience members who bring gifts. And it's really wonderful. So I would say that Being part of a wrestling team or community uh, is rewarding in so many ways. So while there are a lot of sacrifices, uh, the rewards, in my opinion, far outweigh the sacrifices. Again, what I'm getting from all these interviews we've had over the, the past and the interview that we're having with you is building this strong community and these strong groups because there are so many people out there that share the same experiences that we do and the same feelings that we do and we are not alone and that's a very big thing for many people to remember 
We here at Superhero Therapy believe that everyone has a purpose. There's some calling to take part of their own heroic journey. If anything was possible, what would you wish to see happen in this world? You know, it's a very deep question, but I think what I'd really like to see is people relate to one another. I think that especially with the advent of social media and the growth of, of different social networks, I think we see a lot of opposition. We see a lot of one side versus the other. And I think that life isn't about black and white. There's a wonderful rainbow of colors and shades of gray and, and all sorts of in between. And I think I'd really like to see people find out where they can agree find out what they have in common instead of what makes them different. Because while our differences make us beautiful, I truly believe that we are all part of the same entity. I think that we all come from the same point in reality and that we all share a common heritage. And I believe that maybe we all have different perspectives, but the more closely we can align our perspectives and find out where we agree and where we meet, I think the closer we become as a society and as a species, I think that sooner or later we're going to realize that the one thing that connects us all is love. Everyone can feel love. They have the ability to be loved and they want to love. I think that hatred is something that comes out of not having enough love. And I think that we can all agree that love is something we have in common. So I suppose that's really the answer. Rather than finding out where we can all intersect and agree I'd like to see everyone, just for once, one day, show love to their fellow man and woman. That's a beautiful answer. I'd like to second that. If anything was possible, and if I could do anything in the world, at least for one day, I would like to see everyone take a moment and experience compassion toward everyone else, including themselves, in terms of understanding what other people go through in terms of understanding what experiences people have gone through and in terms of giving that kind of love that you were talking about Jervis to ourselves and others I'm a practitioner of what's called loving kindness meditation and it's a practice where we send uh, loving kindness wishes to our loved ones, to uh, strangers, even to difficult people, as well as the world in general. And my wish would be that everyone in the world could go through that practice at the same time. I think there's something really empowering about our ability to experience the level of compassion and understanding that happens when people really see one another not when they see each other's differences but when they truly see the humanity in each other when they recognize that this other person is just like me when they recognize the kind of struggles that the people in front of them have gone through and at its core very much as you said Jervis is love I think we all want to be loved and I would love to see people being able to give and offer unconditional compassion and love to other people I love it so much just embracing humanity because in reality we all have more in common than things that are separating us and i think this is actually a very good point for us to end this episode of superhero therapy with dr janina scarlett again my name is dustin you can find me on twitter at the valiant geek 
And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Superhero Therapy everywhere else. And Jervis, would you like to give the audience uh, somewhere where they can reach out to you? Oh, yes, you can reach me at Gentleman Jervis on Twitter and Instagram. We want to thank you once again. You are definitely the sweetest man, and it was just a simple pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you so much, Jervis. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. It was really lovely. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Please take care and do all you can to embrace humanity. I'd like to leave you with this message from wrestling sensation Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I found that with depression, one of the most important things you could realize is that you're not alone. You're not the first to go through it. You're not going to be the last to go through it. And oftentimes it happens. You just, you feel like you're alone and you feel like it's only you and you're in your bubble. And and I wish I had someone at that time who, who could just pull me aside and hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So I wish I knew that. Just got to remember, hold on to that fundamental quality of faith. Have faith that on the other side of your pain is something good.